welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church, where we exist to delight in God, display His grace, and declare His gospel all through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can be reached at www.2bcmtv.org or by calling 618-244-1706. We trust you'll be encouraged and challenged by the message you're about to hear. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're looking this morning at verses 11 to 15. We come to the end this morning of our brief mini-series where we've been looking together at gender roles of men and women in the church in our study of 1 Timothy, I told you that we wanted to slow down for a few weeks in verses 11 to 15 and consider more carefully what the Bible has to say about gender roles of men and women in the church. And today we're concluding that by looking at verses 15, 11 to 15. So would you pray with me as we go to the Lord this morning? Oh, Father, we confess that we need you. But Lord, we want to acknowledge from the very beginning, Lord, that you have met all of our needs in Christ. All we have is Christ. Those glorious truths that we've sung together this morning. The true and better Adam who's come to save the hellbound men. That it was finished upon the cross. And all hail the power of Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you that we can come into your presence, not because of righteousness of our own, but that because by faith we have been clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, and we stand redeemed in the blood of Jesus. Thank you for that blood that has washed away our sins. He is our hope. He is our life. And now, Father, as we come to your word this morning, we confess that we need you. I need you. I pray that you would help us this morning to, by your spirit, understand your truth, that you would illumine your word to us, that you would open our eyes this morning. You would help us to submit our lives to the authority of your word. We confess along with Peter, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And so we ask that you'd speak this morning through the preaching of your word, guard my mouth, from saying anything that would not be according to your word. And may you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is impossible to read the Bible and to fail to see that Scripture has an extremely high view of women. That is often the criticism you hear of many that the Bible and that Christianity are demeaning and derogatory toward women. But friends, that just is not the case. No. In fact, we've seen already in the opening chapters of the Bible 
over the last few weeks that both men and women are important to God. They are valued by God. They are equally created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. And it's equally true that Jesus himself has a very high view of women. He's very pro-woman. And women have a very important, very central role in his ministry. He often spoke to women, which have been countercultural enough. In Luke chapter 7, he raises the widow's son. In John chapter 4, he speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well. He spoke often to women. He also ministers to women. In Matthew chapter 9, we read where he heals the woman with the issue of blood. In Mark chapter 1, he heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Yes, Jesus even cares about mother-in-laws. In Luke chapter 13, he heals the woman who has been disabled for 18 years. And not to mention, women were also some of his closest disciples and supporters during his ministry. In fact, in Luke chapter 8, we discover that it was women who were following Jesus who were financing much of his ministry. Luke chapter 8, verse 2, we read, And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So Jesus not only ministered to women, but he also allowed women to minister to him. Women anointed Jesus. He, he warmly received their service. They, they sat at his feet. There are many mentioned by name throughout the Gospels in indicating their important role in his ministry. And perhaps most significantly, it was women who were the very first eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Jesus honored women. He valued and esteemed and respected them. Scripture makes that abundantly clear. And then you read in the book of Acts, you read in the rest of the New Testament letters, all the women mentioned by name, and you see this very same idea, the important role of women in the early church, in ministry, and in the home. And therefore, it would be wrong to downplay the many appropriate ways in which women can serve the body of Christ. Friends, that's an important point to make as we come this morning to verses 11 to 15, where the Apostle Paul, in addressing the church at Ephesus, addressing Timothy as to certain roles within the church from which women are prohibited. Certain ways in which women cannot serve. But what is often the case is we only focus on the ways in which women cannot serve and what ends up happening oftentimes is we minimize and we trivialize all the necessary and meaningful ways they can. And they must. Ladies, the church needs you. And as I told you several weeks ago, I, I think it would have been a grave mistake to begin with what the Bible says women can't do. Why? Because we needed first to understand the, the broader design of God for men and women. And we saw that a few weeks ago in Genesis 1-3. to We saw it even two weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we see it now 
here again in verses 11 to 15. Let's read it together. Would you stand with me out of honor for the reading of God's Word? The Apostle Paul writes, beginning in verse 11, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. A few quick reminders of the context here since we've been out of 1 Timothy for a few weeks. I want you to remember that the overall context of this letter, according to chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, is that Paul, he wants this church to know how, according to chapter 3, verse 15, they are to behave in the house of God. This is why he is writing this letter. He's writing to address how the church is supposed to function and behave and operate and live together in such a way that it commends the gospel message, serves as a pillar and support and buttress of the truth of the gospel getting outside of the walls of the church and into the world. That's Paul's main aim in writing this. So this letter, it serves as a blueprint for church life. We'll see that very clearly in the offices of the church as we turn to elders and deacons in chapter 3. We'll even see it in chapter 5 as he talks about how to care for widows, all how we are to behave in the household of God. But this even is seen here in chapter 2 in the roles of men and women in the church. So Paul is addressing how both men and women are to behave in the church here in chapter 2. We saw a few weeks ago, notice in verse 8, where he addresses the men and how they are to worship and pray and interact with one another in the church. Verse 8, they are to pray lifting holy hands and not be given to anger and quarreling. Or in verses 9 and 10, he tells the women, notice, to be modest and self-controlled. Verse 10, to pursue godliness with good works. So, addressing, notice, both the men and the women. And notice that these instructions are given here for when the church gathers together. This is the corporate gathering of the church. That's why it says, notice in verse 8, I desire then that in every place. In every place, meaning every gathering, every local expression of the church at Ephesus. So this is all about life in the local church. That's what he has in mind here, the, the gathering of the church corporately. And so we see there, notice in verses 11 to 15, that Paul now has more that he wants to say to the women and to the men, although he's primarily going to be addressing women here, and so I'm going to be primarily addressing women as well about how they are to behave when the church gathers. Three points I want you to see. Number one, one command and two prohibitions, verses 11 and 12. One command and two prohibitions. We're going to see, spend most of our time there. Second, two foundational reasons Verses 13 and 14. 
two foundational reasons. And then third, one very interesting promise in verse 15. Yes, a very catchy outline. I know that. And what you're going to see is that what I'm about to say here isn't popular. In fact, it's even being criticized in the wider evangelical church as well. Not just the culture. However, I think that what you will see, and I, I, at least I hope what you'll see, is that what I'm about to say is the plain reading of the text. In fact, if you make this text say anything other than what I'm about to say, it requires some real interpretive gymnastics. And I'm not very flexible. So first, I want you to notice one command and two prohibitions. One command, two prohibitions, verses 11 and 12. One command is found there in verse 11. Where Paul says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. That's the only command in these verses. That's the only imperative verb here in this passage. Yes, the the two prohibitions in verse 12, they function as commands, but there's, there's only one command. Let a woman learn. And then in verse 12... You see the two prohibitions, the two restrictions that Paul gives in verse 12. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach. That's prohibition number one. Or prohibition number two, to exercise authority over a man. So you see there the one command and the two prohibitions. So let's look now at each of those in turn. First, I want you to notice the one positive command. The one positive command in verse 11, Paul says, let a woman learn. Now that command right there would have completely blown every social convention of Paul's day. I mean, Paul is, Paul is saying something completely countercultural here, which is the irony given that verses 11 and 12 are often seen as sexist on the part of Paul. No, this this is radical. No doubt Paul would have been labeled a progressive, a liberal of his day, because this wasn't the norm in the first century. No. In the Roman world, women were considered intellectually second class. They were considered academically inferior to men, and so women were rarely educated, and yet in spite of those cultural norms, he says, I wanted to be different in the church. No. He wants women to learn. He wants them to be instructed in the faith. He wants them to know theology. He wants them to know doctrine. He is assuming that women will be serious students of the Word. And ladies, hear me say this morning that careful, in-depth Bible study, studying theology isn't the exclusive priority of men. No, women are to be instructed and discipled in the Word. It's very important that they know the deep things of God and they know how to rightly divide the Word of truth. And Paul says, one command, let a woman learn. However, the emphasis here isn't on the command to learn, but on the manner in which she is to learn. 
How is she to learn? Well, look at verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. So there's a certain kind of way in which Paul wants them to learn. She is to learn quietly, and she is to learn submissively. Notice both of these commands. First, quietly. New King James NIV translates it silent, but I think a better translation is quietly, as you'll see here in a moment. What does that mean? Does that mean that a woman is never allowed to speak a word when she enters into the church doors? Does that mean that she is to never speak in the worship gathering? Well, no. That's clearly not what Paul means here. He he isn't commanding complete and total silence. Let me give you three brief reasons why he isn't commanding total silence. And you can view these as concentric circles moving out from this text. The first reason, notice in verse 11, those two infinitives there, quietly and with all submissiveness, they parallel Paul's two prohibitions in verse 12, teaching and exercising authority. So verse 11, here is what they are to do. Verse 12, here is what they are not to do. So they, notice they they, they correspond, they parallel each other. So learning quietly parallels teaching. Submissiveness parallels exercising authority. So quietly, it doesn't mean total silence. It means quietness or silence with regard to this teaching in verse 12. In fact, Paul makes it clear what he means in verse 12. At the end, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, or but, she is to remain quiet. So, women, in other words, aren't to teach. Instead, they are to remain quiet. So, he doesn't mean total silence. He only means silence in regard to the teaching. Here's a second reason he doesn't mean total silence. That word quietly has already been used by Paul in 1 Timothy 2. Look at verse 2. 1 Timothy 2, 2. We are to pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Same word. Same word. So Paul isn't describing there a Christian life where we never talk. He He isn't saying that we should pray for a life of total silence. No. He is talking about a peaceful life. He's talking about a life that is free of turmoil. And in the same way, he is saying that women in the church, as they learn, they are to have a gentle demeanor. They are to have a a peaceable spirit. They are not to be argumentative in regard to this teaching. To be quiet. So it's not total silence. Here's the third reason. He doesn't mean total silence, because if Paul means total silence, then that would contradict what he says in other places in the Bible. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, would you turn there with me for a moment? We saw this just a couple of weeks ago, but I want you to see it. 1 Corinthians eleven five. I think it'll be up on the screen for you as well, where Paul tells the women of Corinth how to pray and prophesy in the corporate gathering. 
1 Corinthians 11.5, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. So notice Paul is assuming women will be praying and prophesying in the corporate gathering. He doesn't correct them for doing it, only that they need to make sure their heads are covered when they do. So they are praying. And they are prophesying. These are speaking activities. So he cannot mean complete and total silence. Well, some will say, what about 1 Corinthians chapter 14? Great question. Great question. I'm glad you asked. Turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In fact, Paul seems at first to contradict himself with what he's just said in chapter 11. Verses 34 and 35, 1 Corinthians 14. So if chapter 11, 5, they're praying and prophesying in the church, he doesn't correct them for that. But in chapter 14, verse 34, he tells them to keep silent. Look at verse 34. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says... I think he means they're the opening chapters of Genesis, the created order of God. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful or dishonoring for a woman to speak in church. Now, that seems to me like a contradiction of chapter 11, verse 5, where he said they were praying and prophesying in the gathering. Context matters. Do not take this out of context. I told you a couple of weeks ago that chapters 11 to 14 is dealing with issues related to corporate worship. He's talking about head coverings. He's talking about the Lord's Supper. He's talking about the proper use of spiritual gifts. And in chapter 14, he's primarily concerned with the proper use of the gifts of tongues and prophecy in the corporate gathering. And he wants it to be done, notice chapter 14, verse 40, orderly. In order. So why this command of silence then for women? Verse 35, it's shameful for her to speak in church. Well, some would say the women in Corinth were being disruptive in the services, asking their husbands lots of questions, and Paul says, no, just wait till you get home so you don't disrupt the service. But I want to suggest that while Paul does allow women to prophesy in chapter 11, verse 5, what he doesn't allow them to do is join in the weighing of prophecy. The weighing of prophecy. In fact, look at verse 29, chapter 14. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. And he goes on to explain what that means in verses 30 to 33. So the context is actually the weighing of prophecy that Paul is forbidding the women from doing here in verses 34 and 35. He says the women should keep silent, and I think he means in the weighing of prophecy in the churches. Now, why is that? Why, why could a woman prophesy in the gathering, but she couldn't weigh that prophecy? Well, time doesn't permit me allow to go into detail about what prophecy is or 
even whether or not it's still active today. But allow me just to say this. First of all, prophecy isn't teaching. It, it isn't teaching. I could give you several reasons why that's true. But second, prophecy, notice according to verses 29 to 32, involves this spontaneous reception of revelation. Words from God. That's what he says in verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, so notice it's a sudden revelation is given, a word from God, let the first be silent. So it's not a prepared sermon. It's, it's an oracle. It's a word that comes supernaturally, spontaneously from the Lord. In verse 29, he says that prophecy is to be weighed. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. In other words... Discern if it's truly from the Lord. And it's that kind of weighing, I think, that Paul says is out of bounds for a woman to do. She must be silent. Why? Well, because not unlike 1 Timothy 2, it would be sitting in authority over a man. Even perhaps her own husband. Man stands up, he has a word from the Lord, he's going to speak. The prophecy isn't going to be weighed. She speaks over the man. And he says it would be shameful for a woman to do that. So I, I, Paul doesn't allow the woman to speak in that particular context. That's what it means to be silent. So back to 1 Timothy 2.11. Women are to learn quietly. doesn't mean total silence. I think it's clear. But notice how else they are to learn, verse 11. Second, they are to learn submissively, or you could say in full submission. In full submission. In other words, she is to have a heart that is yielded to authority. That's what submission means. Yielded to authority. So verse 12 she isn't to exercise authority, but rather, verse 11, she is to be submissive to authority. Now, Submissive to whom? Who is she supposed to submit to? Well, Ephesians chapter 5, clearly she is to submit to her own husband. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So she's to submit to her husband. But Paul, he broadens the context here. He isn't, he isn't talking here about submission to husbands. Who's he talking about? He's talking about submission to the proper teaching authorities in the church. In other words, submission to the elders. So in other words, she is not to be contentious. She is not to be argumentative. She is not to usurp the teaching, the role of the elders, but she is to be submissive to the authorities of the church. She is to submit which, by the way, is a submission expected of both men and women, according to Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit.